the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day, and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead, and I'm a California Bar Admitted Attorney, and I'm also a Bankruptcy Law Certified Specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. So in addition to my JD, I hold a couple of master's degrees in law. That is to say, I am both a master of the laws of taxation and a master of the laws of intellectual property. And because of my education, my training, my experiences, my life's observation, and my lifelong interest in business and money and finance and the creation, preservation, and transfer of wealth within families and communities, including tribal communities, and the roles that these particular aspects of economics play in the lives of everyday people like you and me, I primarily practice bankruptcy law. However, I also practice the related fields in my overall finance practice, including debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and of course, taxation law. Now, with these areas of law as my reference points, as they relate to the personal, familial, community, and small business finance areas, I've spent the greater part of the last 40 years, both before and after getting my license to practice law, fighting for the economic empowerment, the economic independence, and the economic autonomy of women and people and communities of color, including indigenous communities. And because I grew up as a military brat and I helped create another one with my former military spouse, I have firsthand knowledge of just how hard it can be sometimes financially and economically for our citizen soldiers, sailors, airmen and women and Marines and their families in our sometimes less than patriotic capital based economic system, especially after these individuals and their families separate from the service. As such, I've also proudly served veterans of all stripes and in all branches of the military. And once again, I have to share with you how blessed I was as a child and a young woman. That is to say, because I had the great fortune to not only know my grands, but actually was able to spend a great amount of time with them and actually became friends with both my maternal and paternal grandmothers, both of whom survived the four great economic challenges of the 20th century. That is to say, they lived through the Great Depression, they lived through World War II and its privations, and unfortunately, they lived through and thrived 
for some reason, the systemic racism and misogyny that continues through and to today. And as these women helped raise me and loved me and shared with me the stories of their grandparents who loved and raised them in the post-Reconstruction Jim Crow South, of which I spent some time in as well, is out of my great respect for these lovely women and who are always with me in spirit, urging me on that when the situation is right, I am sometimes able to at least attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors who find themselves the targets of, and unfortunately more and more the victims of some of the most pernicious forms of financial elder abuse that you could ever imagine that's running rampant in our society today that's impacting, in particular, seniors and disabled folks of all stripes. So the purpose of Selwyn's Law, in case you haven't guessed it, is to discuss the law related to your money and more and more probably these days, the lack thereof and your overall finances and what you need to consider to protect and reclaim or rehabilitate your and or your families and or your businesses health, wealth, and money-related well-being as I understand these concepts in this non-threatening educational forum. However, I must once again ask you to please note that this show does not provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information from me to you that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that's tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and hopefully provide you with at least an overall outline of some of the key issues that you may need to help you seek out and find the qualified professional help I believe you need if you're having a legal issue that intersects your finances and or your overall assets and or your debt. Now, this may come as a surprise to some of you, but did you know that some of your fellow listeners out there in radio land take exception with my pro-choice stance? When it comes to my firmly held belief in a woman's privacy and choice when it comes to if, when, and with whom she wants to start and raise a family. And as this show is all about the intersection of the law and finance and economics and wealth creation and wealth preservation, this show is broadcast and rebroadcast on networks that serve primarily Christians, but also folks who follow other faiths. And all are welcome, including those who don't believe as I do, or some of you who don't believe at all. That's fine with me. I'm happy to have you listen, and I'm happy to hear your comments as long as they're, you know, kind and courteous in the manner in which this show is presented, even if you don't like the topic or agree with what I have to say. As many of you know, I'm not very religious. By that, I mean I don't practice dogma. However, I am a Christian, proud to say it, and I am very spiritual. And most of my spirituality comes from the fact, and I believe, and I've shared this with you before, is because I'm a member of the Anglican Communion. And it's kind of a, it's not kind of anything. It just gives me the 
freedom to be myself and find God in my own way. And it gives me the license to educate myself in all aspects of being a human being here on this planet that God gave us all to share. Now, the Church of Churches of the Anglican Communion, and there are many, consider themselves to be part of one holy Catholic and apostolic church and to be both Catholic and reformed at the same time. How do you like that? Now, for some of the adherents, Anglicanism represents a non-papal form of Catholicism. For others, it's a form of Protestantism, although there's no dominant figure such as a Luther or a Calvin. For others, their self-identity represents some combination of the two. The communion encompasses a wide spectrum of beliefs and uh, practices, including evangelism, liberalism, and Catholicism. The Anglican communion is also known as the Episcopal Church here in the United States, and those who adhere to its tenets are known as Episcopalians, of which I'm one. When I was a child and a young lady, until I was confirmed as a Christian in my church and thereby responsible for my own soul, those who had my soul in trust, and that those were my parents, my grandparents, and my godparents, they all insisted that I go to church every Sunday and attend Sunday school and attend pre-confirmation classes when I was old enough. Now, in those particular venues, In addition to learning about passages from the Bible, each week our parish priest would lead us in the prayer of the people from the Book of Common Prayer. However, what I was taught and came to believe was the greatest commandment and the golden rule. Now, what is the greatest commandment as I learned it as a child and still believe today? It comes from the book of Matthews. Jesus was asked, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, the golden rule. So, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. That too comes from the book of Matthews. So, even a simple-minded person like me can remember these succinct commandments And they form the basis of my belief that God is a loving God, not to be feared, but to be loved and admired, similar to the relationship that I have with and had with my late father and who always wanted me to be strong, independent and an autonomous woman and therefore urged me to be the best person I could be and be make a true contribution to myself and my society, and thereby I would be able to show the greater glory of God. Now, some of you really want to know why it is I believe in a woman's right to privacy, as it's not mentioned in the Constitution. And I've shared with you in the past, I think it comes from the Ninth Amendment, 
and the 14th Amendment. Now, the Ninth Amendment is pretty straightforward. It's just one sentence. It says, the enumeration of constitutional in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage other rights retained by the people. Meaning that the founders of the Constitution all recognize and agree that human beings had other rights aside from those that are expressly mentioned in the Bill of Rights. And that even though these unenumerated rights were just that, not mentioned in the body of the Constitution or in the Bill of Rights, they nonetheless are valid and should not be violated by either the federal or independent individual state governments. As such, I believe, and I believe you will agree, that control of a man's reproductive systems were and remain his sole province. As such, the same must be, in all fairness, said for women. So when we come back, I want to share with you my belief that maybe there's a way for us to bridge our differences. And that's what we're going to talk about when we come back. So we're going to take a short break and I'll see you on the other side. Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law as we continue our discussion on why I want us all to feel comfortable in our own expression of our own spirituality and secularity in our collective union here as citizens on this planet. Now, my inspiration for today's talk came from an unusual place. The July 22nd, 2020 edition of the Wall Street Journal. Now, I read the Wall Street Journal each and every day and quite frequently use the journal as one of my sources for this show, my other writings on economic and financial issues, and also sometimes even in my legal briefs when I'm trying to explain to a judge why it is he or she should rule in my client's favor for economics reasons. But what's unusual about the source material today I'm using is it came from the journal's opinion page. Now, you all know or should know that I'm liberal and the Wall Street Journal's page is mostly very conservative. So while I read it, I usually don't agree with it. Then I read this particular article that I'm going to share the substance of which with you today. The article is entitled Abortion and the Grumbling Crowd and it was written by James Martin who is a priest and he has a column entitled Houses of Worship in one of the Catholic uh, uh, periodicals that he writes for. And uh, Father Martin says, Should a Catholic politician who supports abortion rights receive communion? American bishops have been split on the questions at least since Senator John Kerry a Catholic who strongly supported the right to choose 
ran for the presidency in 2004. The furor died down after Mr. Kerry lost, but the debate returned when President Biden became the first Catholic to occupy the Oval Office since Roe versus Wade in 1973. The communion question, at least for Mr. Biden, seemed settled. Cardinal Wilton Gregory, the Archbishop of Washington, said he wouldn't deny communion to Biden. The pastor of Holy Trinity Parish in Georgetown, where the president often attends mass, agreed. But earlier this year, Archbishop Salvatore J. Cordonalone, I'm sorry if I'm not pronouncing your name correctly, Archbishop, of San Francisco declared that Speaker Nancy Pelosi, a person who I greatly admire, would be barred from receiving communion in his archdiocese. The uh, San Francisco uh, Archbishop, along with the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, called abortion the preeminent moral issue of our time. If a Catholic acts against the teachings or opposes it in the political realm, then that person is not in communion, in quotation marks, with the church. The archbishop has written that a Catholic legislator who supports procured abortion, in quotation marks, commits, in quotation marks, a manifestly grave sin, which is a cause of most serious scandal to others, in quotation marks. Universal church law, Archbishop Cardelloni points out in his declaration, provides that such persons, in quotes, are not to be admitted to Holy Communion. And he cites the, uh, the law, the Code of Canon Law, Canon 915. But there's another approach. Bishop Robert W. McElroy of San Diego recently announced nominated by Pope Francis to become a cardinal, has argued against the weaponization, in quotation marks, of the Eucharist. After all, could any Catholic pass the test of worthiness for communion? It is the moral obligation of Catholics to embrace all the teachings of the church in their entirety, he writes, but failure in fulfilling that obligation in its fullness cannot be the measure of the Eucharistic worthiness in a church of sinners and questioners who must face intense pressure and complexity in their daily lives. Bishop McElroy also notes that the focus of these restrictions is often highly selective. Why target only abortion? There are other important life's issues. Consider former Attorney General William Barr, who supported the death penalty, which is the Catechism of the Catholic Church clearly declares inadmissible. Yet, 
there is little outcry about Mr. Barr receiving communion. By focusing only on abortions, pastors risk politicizing something sacred. The Eucharist must never be instrumentalized for a political end, no matter how important, Bishop McElroy says. Amid these controversies, Pope Francis offers the church guidance. The Pope, like me, and like virtually all Catholic clergy, is pro-life. Yet there is a difference in how the Bishop of Rome and the bishops in America view abortion as related to other life issues. In his apostolic exhortation, Pope Francis begins his discussion by acknowledging that our defense of the innocent unborn needs to be clear, firm, and passionate for the sake is dignity of human life, which is always sacred and demands love of each person, regardless of his or her stage of development. But he recognizes that abortion isn't the only life's issue. Equally sacred are the lives of the poor, those already born, those already destitute, those abandoned, and those underprivileged, the vulnerably infirmed and elderly exposed to covert euthanasia, the victims of human trafficking, the victims of new forms of slavery, the victims of every form of rejection. Pope Francis also is clear about the best on-the-ground application of these teachings. I have never denied communion to anyone, he said last year. As for Mr. Biden receiving communion, despite his inconsistency with the church's teaching, the Pope deemed it a question for Mr. Biden's conscience and his pastor's. The best solution may be to observe Jesus in the Gospels. He called people away from sin, and he wanted them to become repentant. But better understood as the thoroughgoing change of the mind and the heart, rather than solely the desire to repent. Yet during his public ministry, Jesus also regularly dined with the tax collector and other sinners, much to the consternation not only of the crowds that would witness it, but also his disciples. In the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus invites himself to Zion at the house of Zacharias, the chief tax collector in Jericho, all who saw him began to grumble. This is according to Luke um, chapter 19, verse 7. The crowd disapproved of Jesus breaking bread with Zacharias, who probably would have been seen as the chief sinner in the town thanks to his collusion with the Romans. When I asked 
the late uh, um, Testament scholar Father Daniel Harrigan about the past that you pointed to the Greek word panto, which means all. He said the grumblers would have included the disciples. Even Jesus' closest advisors who were against him breaking bread with sinners. However, he wasn't. It's no surprise that the controversy and the grumbling continues through into today. So I say again, we need to be more like Jesus and take the time to commune and have communion with regular people, including people who aren't saints and who are on their individual spiritual journeys the same way I am. I, for one, intend to follow the Pope's lead and continue to represent the poor, the already born, the destitute, the abandoned, the underprivileged, the vulnerably infirm, the elderly exposed to covert euthanasia, victims of human trafficking, victims of new forms of slavery, victims of every form of rejection, many of whom end up in bankruptcy court without competent counsel. So we're going to leave it there for now, but always in closing here at Selwyn's Law, we want to stay on the right side of the law, including the laws that give us our lives and our measures of lives a full benefit of the constitutional rights and guarantees of liberty under the, both the Ninth and the Fourteenth Amendment. We'll continue this discussion next time, but in the meantime, and as much as it appears that some or all of the forms of COVID-19 are going to be with us for the foreseeable future. I once again ask you to please get vaccinated and do, boost it. And even if you have all your shots, but especially if you don't, please take the necessary precautions to protect not only yourselves and your families, but those you come into contact with, like me, by keeping your social distance, masking up, and washing your hands. Till next time, take care. Bye for now. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.